event room where respiratory therapists can come and get a little inspiration. I'm your host, Dr. Tabitha Dragonberry. Welcome to this week's episode of The Vent Room. We were scheduled to talk about burnout and healthcare providers, and we would be remiss not to include the current world situation with coronavirus and social distancing. As frontline providers, we historically do not always take care of ourselves as much as we should, and possibly now since respiratory care is not a profession that can be moved to remote work fully from the hospital, while other professions and everyone else in the world is focusing on social distancing, medical professionals are donning and doffing their PPE, going into rooms of patients who are positive for corona, and they're still caring and living their regular day-to-day work lives with enhanced precautions. Today, I'm joined by Davida Ginter of Enkindle Global. Thank you for joining us today, Davida. This is a different conversation than I was going to actually have with you originally. But now, but how can we take a mental break without really forgetting the reality of where we are today when everything you see on TV and in social media doesn't shut off? The way we live has changed. Many schools have gone online. Worldwide travel has been suspended. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it, it is um, an unusual time. So in a way, it changes the, the way that we think and operate, but, but not really, not the core. And what I want to say here is that it's an opportunity to pause for a second and examine what kind of balance are we missing now? So when you talk about taking a mental break, it could be that if someone is working all day long in providing care for others, for example, and they just need to find a way to balance that in their free time, even if it's for a short time. So if you are around people all day long and you need some peace and quiet in your free time, then you need to make sure you are taking that time for yourself. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe people are now working hard all day, but they are isolated. So in their free time, it's actually time to socialize. So socialize doesn't have to be in person. I mean, you know, it is, it is problematic now to hang around people, but socialize can be online. And this is about connecting. So when I talk about balance, I'm talking about finding what are you now missing to make your routine, routine healthier in a way. I think also that people are now consuming information from pretty much everywhere, which is not very healthy by itself because not all the resources of information are reliable. And I think that when we consume too much information, we're actually caught up in more fear and even anxiety. So a good um, way to take care of ourselves mentally would be to be very careful with the way we consume information Are we interacting with people who contribute to our fear and anxiety or with people that we can trust that we can have a meaningful and even relaxing conversation? And this is not about putting our hands in the sand, I mean, our heads in the sand. I mean, we do want to know what's going on out there, but we still need to be very, very careful in not frightening ourselves too much in that sense. I think we need to be cautiously aware. Even if you're not a social media person, no matter where you are, you see the effects and changes in our day-to-day lives. 
you're hitting the nail on the head. And as a society, we need to assess the information that we're getting and where the resources are coming from, just like you would if you were writing a research paper. You need to vet the information. On social media, there have been many false treatment claims for the coronavirus, and some people are taking the opportunity and putting this stuff out there when there is no evidence. When you look at the sources, make sure you're getting credible information. The CDC, the AARC, respectable hospital organizations, and also recognizing that when you're talking to people, are these people that feed your anxiety, increase your fear in you as we're dealing with this? Or is it where you're able to have that calm conversation about the realities of the situation and the changes we're seeing in society today? Right now, I'm traveling. I'm not in the United States and I'm overseas and we're locked down in a country where there's no travel from the outside coming in and there's limited travel within the country. The daily life has changed because there's no public congregation at cafes or movie theaters and pretty much everything that is social is closed and we are social creatures. I think really we're looking at a brave new world and in the US there's a toilet paper crisis and people are hoarding hand sanitizer trying to price gouge. But this is a time we need to show we can care for each other in this worldwide society and be kind to each other. This is a global problem. I grew up in South Florida and I remember Hurricane Andrew and the devastation that came with it. And when you see it in the news, it's different than when it directly affects you and your family. And it's more of a sympathy versus an empathy. You cannot comprehend the devastation of something that catastrophic when it happens if you haven't gone through something similar. This is the first time in my lifetime the world is being affected by one thing and it's changing the way we live and it's affecting business and it's affecting the economy. At the end of 2019, if someone had said that there's going to be a virus that comes through affecting the world economy, I would have said that's the plot of contagion. And now life is mimicking art. I know when my dad was alive, he was my go-to person to talk to and listen to me and give me those pearls of wisdom, and I'm missing that now. What can people do to figure out ways to avoid burnout for themselves in this situation? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And we need to separate between stress and burnout, first of all. Um, stress by itself is not a bad thing if you know how to manage that well. I mean, stress could even motivate you. It creates the adrenaline that push you forward. But if you don't manage stress well, and if it's a chronic thing that happens every day, day after day, all the time, then it becomes, it grows to an anxiety and you feel overwhelmed. And then if it's not managed well, then you hit the wall of burnout. So we first need to understand that, that feeling a little stressed every now and then is not by itself a bad thing. Um, but without the healthy routine, then it becomes a burnout because it becomes chronic. So the first step, uh, that everyone should probably take, and, and this is something I tell everyone is, well, don't follow blindly <laughs> other people's advice. This could be even more harmful. You know, sometimes we read about these formulas, these recipes, do these 10 things and you'll be no, you know, because it's very, very personal. So 
the very first thing is get to know yourself and what's working for you and test and try and do your self exploration and check where is your happy place and relaxed place. Where is the place that you feel belong and trusted and cared? And then you start to explore those practices. So for some people, it could be mindfulness, but for others, mindfulness won't work. Maybe they want to practice journaling or gratitude. Maybe some people need to be outside doing sports and release the energy. Maybe some people need to be inside and connect with themselves and with other people, obviously. And, and it goes again to this bit of connection. I, I'm, I will keep getting back to that because this is such an important piece in avoiding burnout connection. This is about connecting to ourselves and our authentic self, basically. People sometimes burn out because they're trying to please everybody else, but this is about connecting to our true selves and our true needs, but also connecting to the outside. It could be even just to one person that you know will have your back when you need it. So this is very important. And you know, many leaders, and I was like that for many, many years until I learned to do it differently, many leaders simply afraid to admit their struggles, challenges, fears, because it appears as weakness, but it's actually not, you know, courageous leadership is also about reaching out for help, support and advice and mentorship, whatever it takes to move forward. So this is one important practice that leaders could take, which is reaching out when you need it and connecting again. So as you can see that, yeah, there's a handful of practices, but first it takes this inner exploration, what works for you instead of blindly following other people's advice. I think you have an excellent point. I know my mom enjoys meditation and she tells me to meditate and I try. And as much as I want to, I can never shut my mind off to make it work. Um, I don't journal, but I know people who use this as their outlet. I do a lot of self-reflection and focus on ways to relax. I agree stress is a motivator in a good way. And I know stress helps me achieve my goals. And if there isn't some stress to meet a deadline, I might sit back and it may not be done as fast as I could. But you're right. When there's too much stress or when you're overwhelmed by it, that presses on your mental state and where you can feel suffocated and enveloped by stress. That's when it moves past a motivator and can be crippling. I know one year I gave out gratitude jars to my friends and it was a jar decorated for each of them and it had post-its and a pen inside where they could write something good down that happened to them every day. And at the end of the year, they could open it up and be reminded of the little things that happened that may not have been a significant memory to call out, but something that stood out to them in that moment. And sometimes we forget those great little things that get meshed into life. When you read those notes, there is a memory that sparks an emotion of that moment. And like songs can take you back to a memory in a specific place in time, those notes do the same thing. Yes, I, I agree. And the thing is that oftentimes uh, people burnt out when they feel shame and guilt 
um, many times around, we are not doing enough. I'm not enough. So it's also attached to our identity. You know, it's not only I'm failing, it's I'm a failure. So those feelings, those harmful feelings of guilt and shame, which contributes to burnout, could be, could be managed better when we observe what we're going through and actually identifying our success, even if it's small steps, like you mentioned, you know, when we gratitude, when we practice gratitude, when we observe what we are doing, suddenly the guilt and shame of we are not doing enough is getting into proportions. And, and we realize that, you know, basically we're humans. That's okay that we haven't, um, get done everything that we should have get done. And that's okay that we are, that we sometimes need a break, even if it was not planned and that we could be mistaken. You know, that's another thing to understand about ourselves and accept it, that we are basically humans. I know yesterday I was chatting with a friend through Messenger and she had sent me something to review and she said, I'm sorry if it's horrible. And you shouldn't start out with that. And then I was telling her, you need to be more confident about you and your work and your ability. There's a difference of being overly prideful when you shouldn't be, but it's okay to pat yourself on the back for a good job and what you do in life, you know? So it's okay to have a little pride in your work. Yes, I think so too. And if you're struggling with that, this is why you have another person <laughs> that you can trust that will help you with this. This is, again, it, it always goes back to the inner connection and the external connection. This is about understanding our part in the world and, you know, I, I will never tell anyone don't work hard. I love hard work because I think when we love what we do, that's okay to work hard, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we should constantly feel that we are not doing enough on time because it has a high toll, a high cost on our emotional and physical health. I think it's kind of ironic as healthcare providers, and I know... You're not a provider, but from my lens, I've been in healthcare for about 15 years, and sometimes there might be a competition where someone can say, I worked 14 days in a row, and then someone else will be like, you know what, I worked 20 days in a row nonstop. And yes, we have to have money to survive, but as we plan our lives, and it's easier said than done, we don't want to rely on overtime into your monthly budget. I know people who have, and when the summertime comes up and overtime dries out, they're struggling to make ends meet, and you may need to plan a little bit better. But I know that there's so many of us, even as healthcare providers, working paycheck to paycheck. And, and that's, you know, that's very challenging when you enter survival mode, of course, um, it, it requires obviously, uh, planning your life and be, be very careful also about your personal care. As you said, so yourself, when we plan with a bigger perspective, we are able to actually plan our breaks and time off from work. And, and I know it's easier said than done. I'm, I'm aware of it. 
that some of us just talk from a very privileged place of we can actually afford to take a break. But at the same time, if we don't plan for a short break, then we'll end up burning out anyway. So it won't worth it. I agree right now, healthcare providers are in survival mode. You don't get into healthcare necessarily to make amazing money. Some, some locations pay better than others, but when you balance out the cost of living, it's not very different. It is usually a stable work environment because healthcare is always needed. There will always be six people and healthcare providers and workers are the ones on the front line caring for the sick and ill when everyone else right now is quarantining. Respiratory therapists, nurses, doctors, and environmental service workers are all part of that healthcare team. If there wasn't environmental services, there wouldn't be people to clean the rooms, no patients would get put in them, and we would be stuck without the turnaround. I know I sometimes go out of my way to say thank you to them and acknowledge their part because they're just as essential as everyone else as a team member, making sure the environment is clean for the patients and the bedside staff. Yeah, and you're touching a very important point here about appreciation. So, you know, appreciating someone else would probably be very significant to this other person to feel valued, you know, to feel appreciated, to feel that he's been seen and his hard work is being recognized by others. And so, yeah, this is survival mode now, obviously, but when you know someone is actually appreciating all your efforts, it helps you to push, to push through this challenge. So I'm very glad you actually brought it up because this is part of our responsibility, even as leaders, to acknowledge others for their work and help them prevent burnout by knowing that they are heard and seen and being, you know, acknowledged for what they are doing. Many respiratory therapists who don't feel as appreciated as other professions. And if you go to ask someone what a nurse does or a doctor does, they can give you a general description but if you ask them what a respiratory therapist does, they probably have no clue. I think coronavirus is putting respiratory front and center currently and being appreciated. And hopefully you're getting those positive feelings despite all the wor extra work we're, we're dealing with and the challenges. Um, and we need to pay it forward to others. Healthcare workers are out there doing their jobs despite the changing world. And I haven't run across any healthcare provider who's saying, I don't want to be in healthcare anymore. Instead, they're picking up extra shifts and trying to support each other as they all face something that has never been seen before. The healthcare community is shining for the care that they're providing the people. They're doing the best that they can for their patients. Not all outcomes are going to be good. And this virus is affecting the older population and those with comorbidities. However, no matter what, we're still caring for people and their families and many hospitals have changed visiting policies because they need to contain the spread of the virus. Even the way we're dealing with death is different um, than we have in the past. It is a difficult time because some of the things we would to support these people as their family members are passing is different because of how virulent the virus is. This started in December. We didn't hear about it really until February. And then the last few weeks, the world has dramatically changed the way we live and how we're doing business. There's a transition. There's a panic. There are so many people living paycheck to paycheck. And as healthcare providers, we're going to work. We're earning our money. And other groups that 
may not be able to transition to remote work. I don't know what flight attendants are doing or airlines are doing to support their employees. I know one airline was requesting staff to take annual leave because of the decrease in flights before the airport started to close. But when you take annual leave, you usually go home to see your family or go somewhere fun. And now you're having to stay in place. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a vacation now. <laughs> totally. This situation absolutely going to have uh, a ripple effect economically wise, socially wise. And people will probably financially struggle to make a living in the next few months. So, you know, there's no fixed solution now before we realize better where the situation is going and how long would it take. But for people, the best advice that I've heard so far for people struggling to, you know, keep the business running is be very creative about how we work, how we do business, what kind of creative solutions can we find? And this is not applicable for all, you know, if we can't fly now and people uh, get laid off from, you know, the uh, flying services, then what can we do about it? Not much, but supporting them socially now before there is a wider solution. And to be honest, I don't think there are effective solutions so far. I think that probably soon many governmental services will need to rethink how to support so many people who are struggling to to go through this crisis, even, you know, financially. But this is part of the social responsibility, you know, before everything started, before everyone started talking about the coronavirus and how do we deal with it, we as a society kept talking with, you know, big statements. We need social resilience, you know, we need emotional resilience, we need resilience. And this is the time, this is not a test anymore. This is the real time to, to practice resilience. So it begs the question, not only how can we people support each other, which I see wonderful initiatives already, people, you know, buying each other food when they are, uh, some of them are quarantined, etc. It's also time to show social responsibility. How can big corporates who still have the funds can support socially those who can't manage through these times? What policies can we take again, socially, international level, national level, to make things more stable for people. So this is not a test anymore. This is the real time to practice resilience at all levels. You highlight another point, and I have seen a lot of this in the education field. I'm a respiratory therapist, but I'm also an instructional designer. So I live in two worlds and wear two hats. My instructional design friends are going to remote working and my respiratory and healthcare friends are on the front lines. And in the world of education, there's some fantastic software companies providing their software for free to educators as they transition from face-to-face -to -face teaching to online and internet providers providing free services to those who need it for school. But there are a lot of challenges we're facing as a society at this time. Yes, our kids are home, but if you're now transitioning to remote work, or even if you were working remotely before, your kids weren't home all day. This changes the way a person works. You may have two or three children at home and families may not have the two or three computers for them to work on their homework. And they can have cabin fever because if it's not summertime, these aren't the times where you have 
planned activities, play dates, and fun things to do. We're all quarantining ourselves and creating social distance. Now you need to be at home and you need to be doing your schoolwork and you need to work remotely. And this is a very different dynamic. Suddenly making these changes to remote for work or school, there's a specific mindset when you're working from home or doing online education. Productivity might be as productivity may not be as high as normal because the kids are home and they can't be ignored. This can be a stress for healthcare providers because they can't go remotely. They're on the front line and now their children aren't in school and you're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to watch them? How are you going to make this happen? No, I I totally agree with you talking as a (laughs) business owner with uh, three kids at home currently. Um, And again, it's time for mutual support, creativity. Um, How can we find creative solutions for this situation that not only we are changing our mindset, but we are doing it actually in a way that teaches us something new. So maybe this is not only about productivity anymore. Maybe this is about something as equally, if not more important, for example, how can we um, learn to adjust in new situations? How can we learn how to learn in a different mode? How can we make school work and work work in a different way than before? And can we carry from that something for the future? You know, maybe we are now all learning that uh, some ways are actually better than before. And we can ease, for example, the pressure on the environment with all the commuting and everything. I'm not saying everyone should start homeschooling now. Not at all. What I'm saying is that we are actually learning that this situation has its benefits. So maybe we can take some of those valuable lessons for the future. And we sit together in a group of, you know, different ages, you know, kids, toddlers, teenagers, parents, and do creative stuff together, each one at its own field, support each other when needed, but also give each other some peace and quiet when needed. Can we learn and adjust for that? This is going to be a world of learning and an adjustment. And even as we recover post-virus, how is this going to change our world and how we live in it? This is a significant event and probably the most significant in modern times. And it will be interesting to see how as a world society and economy we're going to recover together as this is affecting everyone. Being innovative is vital. And I was talking to another respiratory therapist who suddenly has kids at home. They realize they need to keep their social distance. Still, there's tons of people at home now and they're creating their own online social environment where they're leveraging the abilities of those in the community, like an engineer who's good at math, taking the time to teach the math lesson to the kids or the respiratory therapist who is really good in science and helping each other teach these children. I think structure is fundamental to life and you get up and you have places to be and things to do. And now our structures have been thrown out the window and we're trying to find some semblance of normalcy during this. I know as a healthcare provider, I'm still going to work when I'm scheduled and working my shifts that I need to be there. And maybe I'll end up working some extra ones to help out. Yeah, um, that sounds familiar in the sense that many people who 
um, struggle approaching burnout or being through that are echoing those same thoughts. And if there's one advice that um, that's applicable to all is pause the self-judgment, you know, be empathic to yourself as well as you are to others. So pause that self-judgment. No one can take care of themselves from a place of self-judgment. You know, if you think, oh, I'm, I don't deserve a break or self-care or I need to work harder or I'm neglecting everyone, family work. How can you thrive from a place like that? So when we're being more empathic to ourselves and accept that this is who we are and this is what we can do now, then surprisingly, we're actually able to achieve even more because we are approaching the situation from a a non-judgmental place and we are able to see things from a fresh perspective. We are able to better plan our life, you know, our work, our future, our present, everything that needed to reprioritize sometimes. And like like you said yourself, to recharge our battery, which is just simply finding what serves us the best and stick to that, you know, find your practice and be consistent with that. Don't just do it once. Be consistent with whatever serves you the best to feel happy and and relaxed and motivated and stick with it and connect internally, externally. This is it. Davida, thank you for joining us. Uh, For all the frontline staff, protect yourselves, decompress, do your best not to get burnt out, take care of yourself in this crazy situation. I'm going to end on this with a quote I saw from Eric Toner from John Hopkins Center for Health Security. In a severe pandemic, we certainly could run out of ventilators, but a hospital could just as soon run out of respiratory therapists who normally operate these devices. Do the best you can out there. This is a time for respiratory therapists to shine as we are being called out in the news and other media sources, and people are learning about what we do. So go do what you've always done and, you know, knock it out of the park. 